Good morning, and welcome to episode 316 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Um, weird weird baseball this weekend. Uh, yeah, good baseball, fun baseball. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, actually, I, mean, I guess. Uh, yeah, like the Wong getting picked off isn't like that weird. I mean, it, it isn't literally never happened apparently to end a playoff game hmm. but you know i mean it's not like it's not like we all you know like had to like consult the village elders to find out what had happened it it's just a thing right yeah the night before was Although, weird. the fact that napoli was holding him on for what seemed like no no particular reason really um but then take him off <laughs> i guess so well i could actually i i couldn't figure out why i mean i guess i could figure it out but it seemed like a very strange place to have wong pinch run uh-huh. um his run not actually meaning anything mm. and i mean you could certainly imagine a scenario where speed would matter in like breaking up a double play or well that's basically it that's like yes. basically the only way it could possibly matter mm-hmm. and that feels like a pretty low stakes way to use your like basically only fast guy mm-hmm. um, and you know if you tie it up if Beltron ties it up with one swing you might have a long game ahead of you um, and you know Wong as a as a hitter might have more value Wong, Wong as a runner I mean certainly could have more value if if you know Matt Adams were on base later in the game or something, that, that'd be a huge upgrade. So it felt sort of odd that you'd put him in. And uh, I guess putting him in instead of having like, uh, you know, uh, like Joe Kelly run, mm-hmm. which actually Joe Kelly probably should have run now that I think about it. Joe Kelly should have run. But um, in a strange way, putting in the better runner probably makes it more likely he gets picked off. Not that you're thinking that's going to happen, but probably in that situation, Joe Kelly has no problem staying anchored to the base. We have heard many times that he's the best athlete on the team. We have, although I uh, googled Colton Wong uh, like a second ago because it's instead of going to Baseball Reference and then typing in a player's name, I just Google mm-hmm. his name and then it's, I just, it's always his first result is Baseball Reference, and so then I get to see his Google image results as well. And uh, Colton Wong has some uh, some pretty pictures uh, <laughs> with him with with shirtless Ooh. shirtless Colton Wong. Ooh. Quite a few of them. It's like uh, four of the first eight oh, <laughs> are some, shirtless Colton Wong. Some nice tattoos, too. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't seen shirtless Joe Kelly, so we can't really compare. Oh, we can, let's see. Let's <laughs> we can shirtless we can Joe Kelly <laughs> Cardinals. Uh, uh, there are results, but they are all of him wearing a shirt. Oh, this and looks this. like it's art. Is this art of Joe Kelly? Shirtless Joe Kelly. This might be shirtless Joe Kelly art. <laughs> I just got a lot of shirtless people who aren't Joe Kelly. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I don't even know which move to start with, really. Shirtless Justin Bieber is on this page. Actually, quite a bit of shirtless <laughs> Justin Bieber on this page. Uh-huh. That's not surprising. All right. It's probably yeah, on every so, page. 
Um, yeah, so, so people on our Facebook group requested that we convene an emergency Saturday podcast <laughs> to discuss the obstruction call. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know your opinion of it. I didn't see you um, state anywhere. I didn't have a problem with it, really. Yeah. I, I thought it. I thought it was called according to the rule. The rule is, as you wrote, uh, a little ambiguous. There's a little room for for interpretation and uncertainty. Um, but it, it seemed to me to be going by the letter of the law, even though the law is not <laughs> totally clear. Um, it, it seemed like an okay call to me and, and the whole idea of it, like not, you not, not wanting the game to end on a call like that. I, I understand, but at the same time, if you believe that the call was correct, then you're really just saying that the game ended on on the Saltalamakia throw, um, and that Craig would have scored if not for the obstruction, and then that just would have been a regular baseball play. And you could say that you don't want the game to end on an error or a mistake someone makes, but I don't know. The, the obstruction call is saying he would have scored if not for this obstruction, and I, I agree with that. I think he was fairly close to scoring even so. Uh, right. I mean, had the game not been tied, had the, had the Cardinals been down by a run, then if they had not made the, the obstruction call, the game would have ended on, on you know, the same... I mean, basically, you could just easily say, oh, well, you hate to see the game end like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. the, the game ending aspect of it is does not seem compelling to me mm -hmm. in any way. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I, don't, I, I don't really have any objection to the call. I mean, I, I think that the, the basic fact... I mean... The reason that I think it rubs a lot of people the wrong way is it feels like you're punishing Will Middlebrooks for something that he couldn't have possibly um, avoided. Mm -hmm. But um, you're not really punishing him. I mean, Craig would have scored. It, it's yes. not like it's not like Craig was gonna be out if like if Middlebrooks could have somehow transported away. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if that's like the ideal situation is Will Middlebrooks transports himself out of the way, mm -hmm. then Craig would have been safe. So. You're saying that like Middlebrooks couldn't have gotten out of the way, but if if he had gotten out of the way, then then Craig would have been safe. Right. And so you're really just you're just setting things right. It's like when we talk about the hypothetical uh, power outage mid play, what do you do? And the umpire basically just tries to to guess what would have happened. Uh, what, you know what the 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 most realistic outcome is. That, that's basically it, right? If they hadn't gotten tangled up, Craig would have scored. I, I'm more fascinated by the way that the rule is um, is very specifically ambiguous. It's mm -hmm. it's interesting to me uh, that that kind of clause is in there at the end. Um, but I don't know. I think that what captivates me about the situation is just sort of the realization that n almost none of these rules existed at the beginning of the sport. They've been added as time goes on. They get more specific and they deal with more... Um, uh, uncertainties, and um, there's nothing kind of inherent in the sport. Um, I, like there are no rules, other than a very few. There are no rules that are inherent in the sport. They get they get added as we play the game and, and learn more. And so it was interesting just to think of this as a situation that um, uh, might require the rules to be more specific. Because I, I feel like there are uh, this 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 play raised hypotheticals that maybe need to be addressed in the rule book at some point so mm -hmm. uh, what what change to the language would you make did you think of that that at all because 
neither of us is particularly comfortable, I guess, with the idea of umpires interpreting intent, right? That that sort of makes me uneasy. Well, you if if the umpire uh, interpreting a t- in, intent, I mean, if the intent is clear, I don't think you would necessarily have a problem with. I mean, if if if, uh, if Craig had deliberately tripped over Middlebrooks, mm-hmm. like if he had if he had known that he was going to be thrown out at home, uh, like he couldn't get there, but seeing Middlebrooks on the ground had deliberately tripped over him, right? Or if in, he'd run run out of his way, of the the AJ yeah. Przinsky play, right? Uh-huh. We hate the AJ Przinsky play. That's intent, and we wish the umpires could rule intent on that, don't we? Sure. Um, so you don't mind you don't mind you don't mind there being uh, exceptions for intent in the rules. It's just I don't know that um, I don't I don't have I don't know exactly how I would word it, but I don't um, necessarily have any opposition to intent being part of the rule. I couldn't tell whether there was any intent on Middlebrooks's part. If if he had, I mean, it, it does seem like like it's a if if a base runner is intentionally held by a fielder, that's worse. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind if there was a separate rule for intentional obstruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I mean, what if Middlebrooks had grabbed him by the foot? Is that, like, <laughs> it, it does, like, maybe there's no difference there, and maybe we don't need any difference there, but, um, I, I mean, that would be, that would be clearly wrong and clearly jerky, and I would have no problem penalizing the defense for such a thing. I mean, in basketball, there's contact all the time between players, right? Mm-hmm. And there's... Like, it's very specifically um, split up into different types of contact. There's incidental contact, which is legal. There's unintentional contact, which is a foul. And then there's intentional contact, which is a separate uh, class of foul with a higher penalty. So uh, intent is, is, you know, constantly considered there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sunday's game... There are managerial moves to talk about. There are things about Buckholz to talk about. There, you're. Are you focusing on on Buckholz in your writing, or are you you talking about how he kind of got by despite not throwing hard? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Um, so that was uh, that was kind of scary to watch, but also sort of fun to watch in that it looked like he was always on the verge of just getting getting shelled at least for the first couple innings there his velocity was down and it just it looked ugly it looked like a like a blow up waiting to happen and it never did and he made some pretty good pitches uh location wise at least so so that was kind of kind of impressive i guess it could have it could have been much worse I thought it would be much worse after I saw what he looked like in the first inning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. I mean, it, it's if if he weren't Clay Buckholz and he were just some lousy number five starter who were forced to pitch and had an eighty-eight to ninety mile an hour fastball with good uh, two seam movement and you know a decent three pitch mix. I mean, it, it, really a four pitch mi- pitch mix because his cutters you know, basically a slider. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a good pitch today. Um, then you wouldn't think that much of him going four innings, allowing one run 
walking three and getting pulled before things could get wrong. I mean, he basically did what you hope to get out of your fifth starter, probably. Mm-hmm. They just, it was just kind of unfortunate for the Red Sox that they had to rely on a fifth starter and fortunate for them that he got through it. Mm-hmm. You, you just hold your breath. I mean, you, you get the feeling that Sean Farrell knew, it. I mean, they would have known in the bullpen that he had nothing. I mean, he was throwing 88. He was, you couldn't tell, his first pitch of, of the game was, I think, 85. And uh, I marked it down as a changeup. And then the second pitch was 87. Mm-hmm. And I had to, like, cross <laughs> it out because I realized, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is what we're doing now. Yes. Um, are you surprised that DeBron didn't get a start in this series, having seen Buckholtz and having seen DeBron and with the Cardinals' weakness against lefties and everything? Um, uh, I wouldn't have been surprised four hours ago by that. Mm. I'm, I guess, uh, I mean, I, only because I've seen, you know, I saw DuBron look good and I saw Buckholtz look terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I, maybe I'm surprised that there wasn't a, a late scratch mm-hmm. of Buckholtz for DuBron, maybe a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Clay Buckholtz. He was, he had like a 1.7 ERA. I mean, I, I know he's not the same, but he was a lot closer to the same before this start, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't, he wasn't sitting 87 in his previous October starts, was he? Don't think so. I don't think he was. I, I only glanced and I didn't see that to be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other stuff is just, uh, just bullpen moves, I guess. And, and the thing about... Matheny is I don't I don't think he's a bad manager. It seems to me like he's gotten better as a manager, but the the leaving starters in too long seems like a kind of a chronic problem with him. Um, and I I don't know, I can't really explain what he's done in some of these moves when he's either he's had the opportunity to go for showed or someone to face a, a lefty or go with the situational guy in a really obvious situational guy situation and he he gets the guy warmed up too he gets him ready and then for whatever reason between having him warmed up for that situation and that situation arrives he decides not to to use the person um we saw that the other day when we talked about when he left carlos martinez in uh, and then we, we sort of saw the same thing today when Lance Lynn started the sixth with Ellsbury coming up and Nava uh, and then Pedroia and then Ortiz. And he kind of got kind of got burned there. I, I didn't think that going to, to Menace was such a, a terrible move, but like at that point the at that point the good good move was already behind him. I feel like, like that that particular move didn't work out well, but that matchup wasn't awful. But it was the the inaction earlier in that inning that I I didn't understand. Yeah, first we're gonna have to decide how we're pronouncing his name. Manus, right? <laughs> Is it Manus? Manus. It should. It would just be very uncomfortable if we were doing <laughs> two different things side yeah. by side. Okay, sure, Manus. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. I have not understood anything Matheny has done this whole series. It's, <laughs> it feels like he, um, I forget what it was, but it feels like in game, what game did he win? He won game one or he won game two? They won game two. 
This has been a long series. Maybe uh, I'm, I might be thinking of a previous game. I might actually be thinking of a game in a different the, series. The Cardinals won game two and game three. I don't three. remember. It, there was one game where he did a whole bunch of unorthodox things. Like he batted this guy. Like he had his lefties batting against lefties or something. And he had like all the, I, you know, I, I have, I have no idea what I'm remembering anymore, but he had a whole bunch of things that were unorthodox all go well. Mm-hmm. And you start you start thinking like, oh, okay, he's got a method. Right. And then he just keeps doing it. <laughs> and that, that that's not the case. It does not <laughs> keep going. No. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, every, every bullpen decision, it's almost, you know, the problem is that it's almost like all of his options are just good enough to seem um, to seem like good options to him, like Manus. Mm-hmm. Manus is, you know, like we look at Manus and go, oh, or whatever his name is, uh, you know, oh, why, you know, you shouldn't go to him here. You, you know, why would you bring him in and turn Nava around? And why would you know all the, you know, anytime you bring him in, you're thinking, really, is he your best thing? But you know, like Matheny looks at him and he sees a really like a great ground ball pitcher with an ERA of two this year who doesn't walk anybody and, you know, like was super reliable all year. And it's almost like the whole bullpen are is filled with guys who are good enough that they seem better to Matheny than they are. And so, mm-hmm. like, he's probably pretty confident with all these decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with, like, Farrell, you get the sense that even though, like, Tazawa is kind of awesome – Farrell's just like, get Koji in. Like, what, no matter when it is, we just need to get Koji in, like, right now, for the most part. Or at least unless that's you, Unless you want to get unless, John Lackey in. Yeah, unless you want to, which was also kind of, I mean, that's sort of along the same lines. I mean, going to Lackey is in that situation in game four. I mean, it's not game six, not game seven. Going to your, going to your you know, second best starter in that situation is basically a way of saying, none of my options are good enough, so I'm going with my you know, like really, really good guy, right? It's like Farrell doesn't trust anybody and Matheny trusts everybody. <laughs> Farrell should trust Tazawa though, and he'd thrown two pitches. That's what I'm saying. Farrell doesn't trust anybody. Farrell trusts Koji and and he would probably like so he would think- probably trust like if Pedro were available in relief, he probably would trust Pedro. But mm-hmm. like he doesn't trust any of the options he really has. Yeah. Uh, well, we were talking the other day about whether teams would ever start using starters on their throw days to pitch an inning. Uh, mm-hmm. So that just happened. I I don't hate the idea of that. I I like the idea of that generally. More of a more of a regular season thing than something you break out for the first time in in World Series Game Four. But um, yeah, I don't know. It it seems like to me bullpen management in the playoffs seems easier than the regular season, right? Because you don't have to worry so much about how it's going to impact your pen going forward. There are a lot of days off. I, I know there are three games in three days right now, but for the most part, you you have a lot more opportunities to rest people if you push them a little hard. And almost everything is high leverage, so you're, you're kind of restricting the potential pool of relievers to like, I don't know, three or four guys. There, there are only so many people you're ever going to go to so I feel like it's often, unless you're Mike Matheny. <laughs> well, I feel like it's often very easy, uh, or it's like there there's one guy who makes the most sense clearly, or possibly two guys who would who would make perfect sense. And then in this series, it's consistently been a third or fourth guy who doesn't make as much sense who actually gets to go in. 
Um, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> it's confusing. Uh, and I don't know whether, do you enjoy this series any less because it hasn't been a particularly well played series? I mean, there, there's not, these aren't great defensive teams as we've talked about and they're showing why. Uh, there's been some weird base running stuff. There have been a, a ton of questionable managerial moves, but it's been a very close competitive series because both teams are are making strange mistakes. Um, does that does that affect your appreciation of it or enjoyment of it at all? Oh goodness, no, no, not at all. <laughs> I think I think yesterday was the most probably the most enjoyable single game from like start to finish that I can remember since. Um, I think it was game four of the 2010 NLCS Mm -hmm. between the Phillies and the Giants, which is like a totally forgettable game to most people. But um, it was also extremely exciting from start to finish. And like it ended on like a 10th inning sack fly. And it was just every every play like from the first inning on felt high leverage. Um, And that's sort of how I felt yesterday. It wasn't just like the weird ending. It like just felt really close the entire time. And so, uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed that game immensely. There's I, I, 10 airs would be perfectly fine. (laughs) As long as it was five and five, I wouldn't enjoy it if it were one team making 10 errors and the other making none. Yeah. Airs are very exciting. Airs are way more exciting than most things. Mm Mm-hmm. They're, they go crazy. I mean, especially like, I don't know. I feel like once they, do you ever, uh, okay. So, uh, sometimes when I'm walking like to, to the grocery store, um, and I'm like all alone on, on this quiet street in the middle of an afternoon and I'll just close my eyes and start walking with my eyes closed to see how many steps I can take Uh with my eyes closed before I, (laughs) I've done that. It's it's dangerous in Manhattan. I found, (laughs) but I, I, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've done it. Yeah. So the first like seven or eight steps are are really easy. And then nine, it's like almost always at nine or 10, something in your brain just clicks when you realize like your brain is kind of doing the math and realizes that uh, your range of possibilities of where you actually are has gotten too broad <laughs> yeah. and you might be about to walk into an alligator. Mm-hmm. And so if you keep pushing, then like past nine, it's like every step, you know, it's exponential. The possibilities mm-hmm. of danger are exponential. And I feel like errors are like that. The first throw that a major leaguer makes, the, the play's pretty predictable. But once they start having to make m- multiple throws, like once they get out of the regular routine mm-hmm. and you start having like the first baseman is like picking the ball out from the tarp and there's a runner going to third and, you know, the pitcher doesn't remember where to back up. That's when things get, um, you know, like, gifable. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm, all, I'm all for errors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, I like the mistakes as long as they're evenly distributed so that it keeps things close and competitive and, and weird. Although I, I like a, a crisply, crisply played series as well. Um, but, yeah, this, is, this has been fun. Uh, I don't even know... What else to to talk about? It's just so, so many strange decisions just, that I I can't really make much sense of. Um, I, I can't even really offer a, a rationale for the fact that that Brandon Workman batted on Saturday against Trevor Trevor Rosenthal. So well, strange. this is really this is this feels like it's the series of pitchers batting unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. 
it's uh, it feels like every time a pitcher gets pulled from a game, he batted forty seconds earlier. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the Workman thing was weird. Dubrant felt weird. Show mm-hmm. Kelly, I think, had yep. a weird one. Yeah. Uh, they all, you know, they all feel you could have made. Well, no, I don't think you could, but Keith Law uh, was making the case for um, Lance Lynn. Uh, being pinch hit for in like the fourth, which makes uh, strategic sense, but of course is probably too far. I think Lynn had a one hitter at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as we've established with Matheny, he does not trust any of his relievers and is going to let every pitcher go way too long. uh, Every starter. Yeah. So uh, Joe Kelly hit for himself in the fourth inning on Saturday with the bases loaded and one out. Um, and Kelly, Kelly's a very specific type of pitcher where you would absolutely probably smartly go into the game thinking fourth inning on, I'm looking for a reason to get him out if it yeah. makes sense. And yet he had been pitching pretty well up to that point, And there just, there aren't a lot of managers out there who would make that move, uh, with a guy who's pitching well through four innings or, or whatever. They're just, just not a lot of people who would do that. I, I guess, uh, Farrell did it sort of with PV, and I mean he took Buckholtz out after four, but that was like such a such an obvious one kind of where he was kind of limping along. Um, but yeah, I mean it's the same it's the same thing we were we were talking about letting letting the pitcher bat too many times is the same issue as letting the pitcher go through the third inning or go through the lineup for the third time too many times. Um, it's just sort of underestimating the impact of that. Uh, it's it's often made sense, I think, to to take the starter out, even aside from the fact that you don't want that guy hitting if you can avoid it. But when you combine those two things, I mean, that that seems like the number one thing that we are complaining about now with with managers more so than in in past playoffs. Like, it's not so much that there haven't been a lot of questionable bunts, really. Like there was. Beltran bunting for three one on three one, I guess, but that was probably something he decided to do. I would think bunting for a hit. There haven't been that many like terrible sacrifices or intentional walks. I mean, Farrell did did issue a couple intentional walks on Saturday after having only done that ten times for the whole regular season. Uh, but it feels like you know just being on Twitter and following around, following along with people complaining about everything. Um, it's not as common for people to complain about bunts or intentional walks or whatever as it is to complain about leaving starters in too long. It just seems like the the thinking has evolved on this, at least on the internet, if not in the games. Yep. I was actually going to steal that observation from you in my recap, knowing that you would also <laughs> include it in your recap. <laughs> so now, triple threat. Okay. Um is there anything else we need to to get to? I mean, it seems like there's a lot to talk about, but I kind of when you get right it's down all, to it, it's just like what just happened? Is the, yeah, the it's reaction? all it's all old news by the time anyone listens to this anyway. <laughs> Probably because game tomorrow, game on Monday. Yeah. We're fifty percent likely to have a game seven, so that's good. Well, that was my call going into the series. Is that something that kind of bothered me? And I don't know whether I'm not doing the math right on this, but you know, people predicting the series would all be like, oh, I think it's a toss-up. Uh, both of these teams are, are even, and who knows? And then they pick one team in six. 
Which to me, yeah. like, if you think it's even and it's just a coin flip, shouldn't you shouldn't you pick someone in seven? Uh, yeah, or not pick. Or not pick. Not picking is is always the best option if you can get away with yeah, it. Yeah, well, the yeah the the picking the games are supposed to be the game the how many games it takes actually doesn't have any relevance. It's just supposed to be a way of signaling how certain you are. So. So yes, the, I mean, basically the games, how many games is like how many stars a movie critic gives the movie, right? They they talk, they talk, say a bunch of words about like what the mise-en-scene means and everything like that, mm. and then they just put a num- number on it. And so everybody who doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to read your, your dumb explanation can just see the number. So yeah, that's what games is supposed to signal. So it's supposed to just be like, you can give whatever reason you have for it. But then you put a team number, a team's name, and then how many games? Mm-hmm. And if you put four, then you're saying it's. I feel very strongly. And if you say seven, you say it's it's a coin flip. Right. So if you're saying coin flip and six, yes, that's absurd. <laughs> okay, because I I've heard that a lot, and it's been bothering me because I I decided to pick seven before I decided which team to pick. So I I said someone in seven, and then I when pressed, I said Red Sox in seven. But I've heard so much. I don't know. Can't too close to call. Someone in six. I don't get it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Maybe they did an analysis of all the seven-game series in history and found that six is the most common number, and they're just actually very concerned about accuracy. <laughs> that, that could be. Um, all right. Anything else? No, nah, we'll just do it again tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Uh, we will see what's in store for them. All right, so send us some emails at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. Uh, thanks to those of you who rated and reviewed us over the weekend. There were some of you, and we always welcome more. And we'll be back for, for tomorrow's Crazy Game 5 discussion.